This year, in 11 countries at over 900 program sites, more than 171,000 children are sitting down to a hot meal. For many, it's their only meal of the day. How did these children end up sitting at this table? Who reached out in kindness across the world and told these children they are worth the investment? The answer is simple. The answer is you. By giving one day's wage, you're helping Convoy of Hope fight global hunger. It's a crisis in which 22,000 children a day die due to hunger and poverty-related causes. The task is daunting, but the solution couldn't be more clear. By giving to one day to feed the world, your day's wage is multiplied by Convoy's partners, providing even more life-saving food, clean water, education, and supplies to those in need. For children like Mahar, Stephen, and Manas, your gift means they don't go to bed hungry. They have energy to focus at school, and the door is open to the message of Jesus' love. The power of every meal breaks the cycle of poverty and hopelessness. And in its place, there are brighter futures and a tangible expression of the love of Jesus. Your one day transforms their every day. Well, welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today and great to be together. And uh, I just want to just uh, encourage you next weekend to join me to be here. I'm going to be here as well. Uh, but Michael McNamee is going to be our guest. And so, uh, Michael, I don't, we have to control what he says sometimes because he's in his 70s. Now, that's a bad thing, but he's forgotten. His wife says if he ever loses his accent, he's going to have to get some content. Uh, but uh, he's a great communicator. He's been here multiple times. And he and his wife, Burl, will actually be here uh, with him. And I hope that you'll be here. Uh, Burl actually will be flying back to, to Denmark, to Copenhagen, on Monday for uh, an international prayer gathering. She has one of the largest prayer groups uh, in the continent of Europe. And so uh, with many dignitaries and, and people like Bono from U2, because they're both Irish and, and they're a part of some of what they've done and some, just some incredible things. Actually, at the National Prayer Breakfast every year in Washington, D.C., Burl is brought over as a, as a special guest. And because of her prayer ministry just there in in, uh, in Brussels, in Belgium. And so anyhow, just, they're just a fascinating couple that have given decades of their life for ministry and have had more stories. I told him, he said, what do you want me to talk about? I said, just give me the greatest hits, man. Just tell me what God's doing and what's happening. Uh, and because he works with Convoy and has for years. And so, uh, and again, so I just, um, uh, part of my heart of compassion for this has come from my relationship with Michael uh, for the many, many years that Tammy and I have known him and Burl. And so, again, I hope you'll be with us next weekend. And then be prepared to give. Uh, we're challenging everybody to give one day's wage uh, to the poor of the world. And basically, you just calculate that, figure out what that is. It doesn't stay here. Uh, all of it goes to uh, Convoy of Hope. So we just write one check. So you just write to Life Church. It all goes that direction. And, uh, again, just wanting to... Um, do something significant for the, for, for the kingdom. And, and I believe next weekend we'll give $100,000 away just for the poor and the hurting and the suffering. Uh, that's the heart of God. When, when you, the Bible says when you lend to the poor, when you give to the poor, you lend to God. The only place in Scripture where you're actually borrowing to God, you're actually lending to him, this isn't my words, it's his, is when you give to the poor. And so there's just a special something about that. So again, we just want to give you the opportunity. What you do with this between you and the Lord, it's not my business, it's not anybody else's business, but we'll give you that opportunity to be able to do that and to be a part of that at every one of our campuses next weekend. Also want to give a huge shout out to our student ministries uh, youth pastor, Dylan and uh, uh, 
Johnston, and then also his partner in crime, Noah Milan, who is uh, the worship pastor at the Germantown campus. Is there a picture that we're going to put up? There they are. They ran a marathon today, just finished about 30 minutes before the service, and raised over $10,000 for missions today. Amen. That's awesome. So when you see them, just ask them why they weren't at church on Saturday night. That's all I want you to do. Just say, hey, really, you can't be there for the house of God, for the things of God? Okay. And you call yourself a pastor. Just do that for me. If you'll do that, it'd be great. And anyhow, Dylan's doing a great job. He and his wife, Tori, leading the youth ministries here at Life Church. And then also Noah, as you know, he's gone through Life Leadership College, graduated, and leads the worship here at the Germantown campus. And so uh, those guys are awesome. They asked me, what would it take for me to run that? And somebody said, like, 20 grand? I said, oh, no, more like 200,000. Like, there is no, my body doesn't do that. Like, I was, that's all day long. Anyone? So if you'll run it with me, I'll do it, okay? Not somebody skinny. I see, yeah, Brett, sorry, man, it didn't work that way. You're, you're like in a cast and everything right now. So you, you know, it'll make it happen. Okay, for 200,000, you'll do it? Okay, good. Ken Mueller's going to help you. I see him back there. All right, so. Good. If you have your Bibles, let's go right to the, the scripture. I'm going to get in trouble. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, Old Testament. We actually been going, we, if you've been walking along the SOAP guide uh, with us, we kind of do that um, scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So every day, just two chapters of God's word. Back at the ending of August, we would have covered this chapter and it's the, uh, the prayer of dedication that Solomon prays when he dedicates the temple unto the Lord. And as I was reading it, and again, I don't mean to sound like I'm aloof, but, but, but as, I, as I'm reading it, I saw something that I had not seen before and connected some dots I hadn't connected, which is part of the reason why I love to read the Bible. Because again, uh, you can read the same passage 10 different times, and it's just the meaning and the richness just continues just to grow and develop and come out of that. And so, so what's happening here in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 in the Old Testament is it's the recorded prayer of dedication that Solomon prays. Now, Solomon's the, the son of David. David wanted to build a house for God, but because, his, because of his, his uh, sin and his life and the way some things happened, God said, I, I won't let you do this. I'll let Solomon do it, your son, but you won't be able to do it. And so, but it was in David's heart to do that. And Solomon then goes and he follows out and builds the temples to, to spec, uh, this physical temple. Uh, and that would basically be the, the meeting place where the nation of Israel would come and meet with God until, uh, in essence, until, uh, until, until Jesus comes. Uh, until, until G and that's when the New Testament kicks in. And so then we all know that Jesus then uh, dies on the cross and the burial and the resurrection. And so now God no longer resides in buildings made by the hands of men but he resides in the hearts and lives of men and women. And so the Bible says in the New Testament, Paul will write that we have this treasure of Christ in these earthen vessels, that God lives in our heart. Romans chapter three, verse 19 and 20 says that Jesus stands at the door of every man and every woman's heart and he knocks. If we'll open the door and ask him to come in, he'll come in and he'll live with us. He'll, he'll be in our heart. That's the reason why we, we, you know, we used to teach kids these little songs. I don't know if we do anymore, but into my heart, into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart to stay, into my heart today. Come into my heart, into my heart, Lord Jesus. Because that's where he lives. He, he lives here. So I don't want you to think that I think that God lives in this room or whatever room that, that where, you, where you go to church. A building just facilitates what God's doing. That's all it does. But 
It is a place where a lot of godly things happen. Why? Because the book of Hebrews tells us to forsake not the coming together and do it even so much more as we see the end of the world approaching, as we see the imminent of Christ's return. The Bible says that we should come together. We see this, this in Acts chapter 2. This is the formation of the New Testament church where everyone came together and they had all things in common and they, they, they gathered together and they grew together and they, they gave of their time, their talent, and their treasure. And then they, they left and they went in all the world and preached and teach the gospel only to gather back together and to do the same thing. And every time that we come together, we're to remember what Christ did for us. Every time we come together, we're, we're to, to have the fellowship. Of, that's just why we do prayer and worship and the word of God every time we come together. So even today, my responsibility as the, as the, as the pastor, as the shepherd, I like to call it the food dude, my responsibility is to serve up the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ, John's Gospel, chapter 7, hot and fresh, to build the believer and to serve those that are seeking. What's interesting to me is that the very intent of the temple as Solomon prays that prayer of dedication is the exact same thing that we see birthed in the New Testament church. It doesn't change. And it's the exact same thing that you see today in every healthy church. Now, I'm not saying today, I'm not preaching today, speaking on this because I think there's a problem. I just want to reiterate. I just want to reaffirm. I just want to kind of kind of go back to the old landmarks, to the boundaries, if you would, and just kind of just kind of deepen the stakes a bit and just kind of go, this is what we're about. This is why nothing works like the local church works and the local church works the way the local church is designed to work. But what's interesting to me about this, Malachi's chapter three, God discloses this discloses of himself and says that he does not change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And the prayer of dedication that Solomon prays would be as applicable as it was 2,000 years ago in the New Testament church, or today if we were dedicating a building unto the Lord. And it just reminds me of what we're called to do, because God still meets you and I and people far away from him in this facility that simply facilitates what he's doing. Because God's house is a place where God meets with his people individually and corporately. Last weekend, we saw that, where we gave people an opportunity just to respond, just to come and find a place to pray. And at Germantown alone, it was, it was anywhere from 15 to 20 feet deep in the aisles of people trying to get to the front, just praying, just saying, God, I want to do all you want me to do. I want to be all you want me to be. That, there's something special about that. I remember growing up in church when God would begin to move. And there's something special about that. Uh, Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, the Germantown, uh, Germantown 9 o'clock service, I'm right over here praying. And there's high school kids that I know their parents have served God all their lives. And their grandparents have served God. There's, and their parents before them. Four, four generations. And I saw high school, middle school kids, awkward, goofy dressed, probably their parents fought with them about how they were dressed before they left, but in the altars. And as I laid my hand on one young man to pray for him, I just thought, that's what this is all about. May he, and that's what I prayed, may he never forget, God, that you meet us here. May he never forget what it feels like to feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit wherever he goes, wherever you have for him. May he never forget the power and the presence of God that doesn't reside in buildings, but it facilitates and allows for that moving to happen. 
So I want to read this. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 12, if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. If you do have a Bible, you can follow along. I'm going to kind of skip around a bit because of time, but I want to read some of these critical verses to you. Verse 12, then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Go to verse 14. And he said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. Verse 15. You may have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it. Isn't that awesome? God speaks it and then he does it as it is today. Skip down to verse 18. But God will really dwell on earth with humans. The heavens, even the highest of heavens cannot contain you. And how much less this temple that I have built can contain you. As you read through, you go to verses, and I'm not going to read this because of time, but 19 and 20 and 21, you find that the first characteristic of the house of God, it's a place of prayer. It's a place of prayer. Matter of fact, if you read the entire chapter, there are 13 times where prayer is specifically mentioned in the midst of a prayer. It's inferred almost two dozen times. It's specifically mentioned 13 times. Why? Because prayer is the foundation of everything else that we do. Jesus will come in in the New Testament and he'll come into the temple and he will talk about how that God's house is to be a house of prayer that that's the primary focus, that that's the primary thing. If we don't accomplish anything else, umro numero number one is prayer. There should be time for us to pray, time for you to pray, time for you to think and reflect and respond and in worship and in, and in preaching and in the altar time and all throughout the hour and, and 15 minutes that we have together, just time for prayer, time to reflect. And, and again, I, I say this as you come in, even in a weekend service, you may not like every song that's sung. I don't. Can I just help you with that? Like, I don't, like, create the song list. Because, uh, again, I, I think that everybody that's on our staff, they're men and women that are called of God. They're just as called of God as I am. They're just as gifted. And so my responsibility is to lead them, but to give them the ability. So sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they sing your favorite song. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's too loud. Sometimes it's too quiet. And when you come to music, oh, man, it's everybody has a different style and genre. But here's the one thing. What are we singing about, Jesus? Is it biblical? Yes. So what can I do in that time, even if the song doesn't resonate with me, even if the melody doesn't, isn't really my style, even if the genre really isn't me? I can take that time just to focus on the Lord. Take that time just to give praise to God. Take that time just to be thankful. And again, and, and take that time just to say, God, I praise you and I thank you because of you've done this for me and this for me and this for me and this for me. Or maybe it's the characteristics of God. God, you've been this for me and this for me and this for me and this for me. Or maybe everything, maybe you're just feeling a little bit blah and you just have to say, God, I just want to praise you and just thank you just because of who you are and what the Bible says. Again, it's a choice, but as we come together, let it always be said that this is a place of prayer. Secondly, you see it's a place of forgiveness. It's a place of forgiveness. Verse 22 and 23 all the way through verse 25. There's two types of forgiveness that he mentions here. First of all, it's the forgiveness of personal sin. Verse 22, when anyone wrongs their neighbor. And, 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 and he begins to go down that, that pathway. It's personal forgiveness. 
so that the church should be a place where when you and I have sinned, not the only time or the only place, but definitely should be a place and a time when there is sin in our own life, that there should be enough convicting power of the Holy Spirit, which what that means is the presence of God is here. And so everything that's dark in us, everything that's not holy in us, that the Holy Spirit, because we're in his presence, we begin to go, that's not right. I need to get this right. I need to get that right. I need to get this right. I need to get that right. So the reality is, is that I have that time just to sit in the presence of God. Even if I don't like every song that's sung or every message that's preached, even if everything is going on is not completely applicable to me, it's a time where I have a time to carve out of my week and say, I'm going to take 75 minutes and I'm just going to make sure that I'm going to introspect in my own heart, my own life, that I can find forgiveness. But also, verses 24 and 25, it's forgiveness of people. Corporately, verse 24 says, and when your people Israel have been defeated, and it goes down the list of what they do, that we can come together. Why is that important? Because there are times when you and I, as a body, need to repent for something that we've done. Repent for a sin, repent for a prejudice, repent for how we've acted or how we've not acted in the midst of an opportunity that God gave us. There are times, it's rare, but there are times where churches need to repent, where the board needs to repent, where the leadership needs to repent, where the people need to say, I messed up. God, forgive us. Do you mean to tell you the reason why some churches grow and some churches don't grow and some churches stay and some churches don't stay? It's real simple. It's sin. Because here's the deal. is just because it says God's name on the sign doesn't mean he's there. You understand that? Just because it says it's a church doesn't mean that everything that happens in there is great. Again, church isn't perfect. It, it ended being perfect when you showed up. You get right? You know what I'm saying? No? Is that, too, is that too personal? Right? For those of you that are really offended by that, you're who I'm talking about. Because the reality is, is that we're all messed up and we're, and we're, we're all flawed. And so we come together. And so there's going to be times that there's issues or, or problems or schisms. It, this is just human nature. It's just, it's, but does it mean it's okay? No, it just means it's normal. But normal doesn't mean it's okay. But there are times when we as a people may say, we messed up. I'll give you a case in point. So a lot of mainline denominations... Uh, in, the, in, the, in the 20th century, connected their roots back to a revival that took place in Los Angeles, California in 1906 called the Azusa Street Revival. It's called that because that's, it was a street. That's where it happened, on Azusa Street. It actually started on Bonnie Bray, and then it moved over to Azusa because they outgrew the house that they were at and there. And so then out of that, and what was interesting about this revival is that people were coming from all over the known world, literally, boats, trains, everywhere, coming into this revival. And the, the evangelist that was used, I'm telling you, hundreds of thousands of people were touched, was a blind, or was blind in one eye, uh, William J. Seymour, who was an African-American preacher and was morbidly like, scared of crowds and people and would many times preach in a box, which sounds really crazy, but that way he didn't have to see everybody. I, I understand that sometimes. Okay, so anyhow, he would do that. And, and the reality is, is that God moved. But out of that, because of segregation and racial prejudice and bias, there were many denominations that were spawned out of that, that they would come together and they received the same endowment of power and same experience. But when they left that place, they went to their own group. It was wrong. Prejudice and segregation is 
wrong. It just is. If you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God in heaven whom you haven't? This is real simple. And so entire denominations were built. And, and, and what had to happen after the 60s, which Martin Luther King Jr. was very, very instrumental in this, and into the 70s and even to the 80s, even as late as the early 90s, there was racial reconciliation that had to take place from great denominations like the Assemblies of God and Church of God in Christ. Because the day and age in which they were coming into this wasn't ready, quote unquote, for what they needed. Did that make it right? No, it's still sin. Racial prejudice is still sin. It just, it just is. And so the reality is, is out of that, there had to be forgiveness and repentance. And there were actual services that took place to say, we're sorry. We, we as a group of people missed what God really wanted to do. And so there are times where this happens. The church should be a place that. The church should be a place for forgiveness. And forgiveness basically is simply this, just in case you're wondering what I mean by forgiveness. I'm so glad you asked. First of all, you have to confess your sins. You've got to own it. Secondly, you repent, which means you turn from your sin. Not just enough that you say, God, forgive me, but you leave that sin at the altar. There has to be a penalty paid for your sin. Well, we know that penalty was paid for by Jesus. So Jesus doesn't need you to feel bad. You're feeling bad or whatever you may do or your down long face doesn't help you, doesn't help him. It simply is one of those things where you give it to him. He paid the price for your sins. The Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then a restoration of healing has to take place where that redemptive work of Christ begins to happen. The church, church service should be a place where people individually and a group, we can receive forgiveness. It should be a place next of provision. It should be a place of provision. Verses 26 and 27. First of all, it should be a, a, a spiritual provision. He says, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. And when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sins because you've afflicted them. Then hear from heaven, verse 27, forgive them of their sins, your people, Israel, and teach them the right way to live. Send the rain on the land that you gave your people for an inheritance. So, that, that provision is spiritual when there is no rain because people have sinned. See, this is what's interesting in the Old Testament that we, again, they didn't, they didn't dichotomize their life of, well, this is my secular, this is my work week, and this is my school, my education, my job, and this is church. No, it's all one and the same because all things are spiritual. It's all spiritual. So therefore, it, it's all spiritual. God's a part of all of it. So everything from the marriage bed, it's spiritual. Thank God he came up with sex. We're really happy about that. Amen? No, you're not. Okay, I can tell. That's why everybody's so grumpy and quiet today. All right, that's it. But we need to do a message on that. He he came up with that. Thank God for that. Uh, He came up with the whole idea of we we don't need to be alone. We need to have a relationship. He came up with that. He came up with the idea that we need to have a vocation, a calling, a a work, that that, that we need to do something with our lives. And so you you look at any group of people when they're employed and and they are, they're they're, they're moving forward. Those people, they're they're not only are they blessed, but they're happy. They're content because they've got a job. But when people are oppressed financially and when they're oppressed in their life, then all of a sudden they, they, every, it, it affects everything. Everything is, it's all connected. And so what he's saying is, is that the church should be a place where we receive the provision from the Lord spiritually, fit, practically. He says in verse 27, teach them the right way to live. Th- this is the reason why 
And some people don't like this, but, but when, as a pastor, especially in today's day and age, you've got to practically teach God's word. I've had people say to me before, I wish you could just teach the word, but don't give me any application. Don't talk to me about how that applies to my life today. And to that guy I said, well, that's, that's kind of hard to do. Because if it's just theoretical, theological rhetoric, when I can do that, I, I'm, I'm degreed. I, I have the, I can, but it doesn't help you. So what? I mean, I, I, I mean, I've talked to people that are, have earned PhDs from leading Ivy, Ivy League schools that are not Christians in theology. I mean, they, 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 they can break apart scripture better than any of us can. They know it, they understand it, but they have no personal interaction with it. Therefore, they have a form of godliness, but the power there, that they deny the power thereof, they, they, there's no relationship with it. It's just a textual understanding of what happens rather than a relational understanding. And everything we see Jesus doing, Jesus spent 10% on the information and 90% on the application. Look at how he te- teaches. Everything's a visual. The kingdom of God is like an unto. It's like an unto. It's like an unto. It's all this. You saw what I did over here. Let me connect the dots for you guys. It's constantly. So there's practical to it. And then also the house of God should be a place of physical and financial. There should be blessing that comes. Send the rain on the land and give, verse 27, that you gave your people an inheritance. So when we come together and we do things God's way, there will be biblical blessings on our life. I don't listen to a lot of talk radio. I don't listen to a lot of radio. But every once in a while I'm driving and I'm scanning through channels and I'll catch Dave Ramsey uh, on, on uh, you know, he's a financial analyst and a financial guy. And I'll catch him, whether you like him or you don't. It's, it's, it's not germane to what I'm about to say. But somebody will say something and it will get kind of into this whole thing about I'm so in debt I can't give, I can't honor God with a tithe. Which you don't hear very often on radio, especially on the secular. This isn't like a Christian channel, but on like a talk radio deal. And I'm thinking, it always catches me. I'm like, how's he going to answer this? Because I know how an accountant would answer it. I know how a CPA would answer it. But he goes back into this whole thing about how you can't outgive God. And how when you do it God's way, when the creation works the way the creator designed us to work, there is a way of blessing that comes. It's, it's, again, all truth is God's truth. So there's a little book that I used to have my girl, I've had both my daughters read called The Richest Man in Babylon. It's not a, it's not a Christian book. It's a secular book. But it talks about basically the, the effect financially of paying yourself first before you give money to anyone else. And if you'll do that, you'll never be a debtor to anyone. This is the same principle that we get from tithing. When we honor God with the first fruits, then he'll bless everything else. So again, it all comes back to there's provision that happens from that relationship that comes out from the church. Again, I didn't write this. I didn't even write the prayer. Uh, this is Solomon thousands of years ago. Uh, the church should be a place of peace. I'm going to run through this pretty quick. Place of peace. Verse 28, when famine, plague, blight, mildew, locusts, grasshoppers, enemies, whatever disease or disaster may come, afflictions or pains, Basically, when we come into verse 30, it says, when you hear from heaven in your dwelling place, God, you dwell in this place. So whatever's happening, whatever is happening around, let there be peace when it comes in here. Again, I have conversations with people from time to time, and they'll, they, they've not been to church before. They've not been to life church before, and they, they leave, and they're like, man, I'm, I'm crying, and I don't know why. It's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not me. It's not some, something we're spraying in the atmosphere. It's not some perfume or deodorizer that we've got going on. It's the Holy Spirit. And there's peace. There's peace. 
That should always be said. Listen, (laughs) there is no issue that we should ever struggle with or wrestle over or argue over that ever breaks the spirit of unity and the bond of peace that we have in local church. The color of the carpet, we should do this, we should do that, tomato, tomato, potato, potato. There should never be anything that drives us. It should all be about working towards peace and reconciliation. That should always be here, regardless of what's happening around us. But regardless of the afflictions and the disasters and disease that may come around us, when we come to the house of God, there should be peace. In my lifetime, the largest church attendance since I was born, I was born in 1971, was a Sunday following 9-11. Before or since, we've never had historical church attendance the way we did that weekend. Why? People were looking for peace. What's, we all knew our world changed. We all knew it shifted. We all remember, those of us that were living, where, it, where we were when that happened. But that next Sunday, epic proportions of people were flooding churches. Catholic, Protestant, didn't matter. What? Looking for peace. Prosperity never drives us to God. It's persecution that does. The church always grows in persecution, never in prosperity. So when we begin to see the church prosper, when we begin to prosper, that's the thing we should be mindful of. Make sure that we're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, that we're not missing out. Because again, what's easy to do is I got this. God, I got this. It's good. I don't really need you. I don't really need to lean on you. But when all hell's breaking loose, and when, as he says right there in verse 28, when there's famine and plague and there's blight and there's, there's enemies and there's disasters and disease, then we run to the house of God. Why? Because we find peace. Peace that passes understanding. The next thing is it's a place of refuge. Refuge. Verse 32 and 33. Refuge. For the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land, dot, dot, dot. You know what this speaks to me? Is that there's, this church is not about insiders, it's about outsiders. This is interesting because, again, this would have been so, so, so revolutionary when Solomon's praying this. This is actually where we go back to historically and get sanctuary laws that happen in churches. So even, on, even if you're dealing with immigration and the subject of immigration, which I'm not going to get into today, but, but the ideology of a people being able to go to the church and find sanctuary and refuge legally, as long as they stay on the church grounds, it goes all the way back to this. Because this was a value. Again, we're, we're a nation, whether we want to admit it or not, that's based on Judeo-Christian value. This is how we were formed. And so this is the ideology that comes into even how the laws in our land had been formed up to this point. And so that the church should be a place that's safe for people on the outside. What does that mean to us in the 21st century? Real simple. It should never be about us. It should always be about them. It should never be a little country club where we just kind of come together and we kumbaya and you know, and let the rest of the world kind of go to hell and don't really care. No, it should always be a place where people who are on the outside, whether they're sinners, whether they don't look like us, walk like us, talk like us, whatever it may be, that people are, re- are welcome, red, yellow, black, and white, young, old, in between. It does, and again, can I just help you with this? Loving people does not mean you're condoning any of their behavior. Loving people and just being hospitable and kind doesn't mean you're agreeing or disagreeing with any of their choices or what they've done with their life. 
inviting people and saying, this is a place to be welcome. We'll get caution time and time. I'm, I'm so-and-so, or I deal with such-and-such, and am I welcome to come? Yes, absolutely. Why? It's a church. Now, you may not like what we have to say on the subject. You may disagree with us. And if you're going to come in and be cantankerous, that's a whole other conversation. But are you welcome? Absolutely. Everybody. I, I love what, what Paul says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how will they hear unless they're welcomed? Sit at the table. That's why we say at Life Church, there's three seats at the, at the table. The sinner, the new believer, and, and the mature Christ follower. Everybody in this room, if you're attending Life Church on a regular basis or you're here today, you're in one of those three seats. And I think a healthy church should have a third of its people that basically are people that are far away from God that are on a journey looking for the Lord. Why? Because how else are they going to come to faith in Christ? And at the same time, it also means that for those of us that are mature in our faith or new in our faith, we've got to be mature enough that we understand that everybody that comes to Life Church doesn't have it all figured out, even those of us that are sitting in the mature seat. I've got to move on. The next is a place of victory. He talks about it in verse 34 and 35, that when people go to war and enemies, that this is the place of victory over the wars and the conflicts of life. You should be able to come to church and feel better about life uh, when you leave than when you come. You should feel more of an overcomer than when, than, than, than when you came in. Whether that's you're connecting with people relationally, whether you're sensing the presence of the Lord, whether it's a message that's preached, whether it's something that God speaks to your heart, whether it's a response time that you have, and it may be different every single week. But the reality is it's a place of victory. It's a place where we come. And, and, and we know in the Old Testament that, that every time they would have victory in their battles, every time they would have victory in, in, their, in, in the wars that they would fight for the nation of Israel, it was because they were coming to the house of God and asking for strength and for help. And that's a place of victory. It's the reason why historically, if you read in, in Western civilization, I mean, excuse me, the last 2,000 years of modern civilization, you read how many times that we would come together and would pray, especially during World War I, World War II, the amount of prayer that was taking place. Fascinating. What? Going back to God's place, God's place in that. Uh, the, 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 the next thing, I'm almost done, is a place of freedom. It's a freedom, place of freedom, verse 36, 37, 38. And he's talking about sin here. Verse 36, when they sin against you. Verse 37, if they have a change of heart in a land where they've been held captive. The church should be a place where people come in bound by all kinds of things and they find freedom. They find freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from behaviors that, that, that bind them. Most of the time, people that are involved in sin really don't want to be involved in the sin that they're in. They just don't know how else to get out. And they've tried religion, and religion doesn't work. But we're not about religion. The church isn't about religion. It's about relationship in Christ. And the last thing and I want you to see is that the, it's a place where God hears you. The church should always be a place where you feel like that the Lord hears you. Not just the pastor, but hears you. Look at verse 39. Then from heaven, Solomon says, your dwelling place, hear their prayer, their pleas, and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who've sinned against you. And now, my God, may your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Well, we know God hears us when we pray. Doesn't matter if we're in church or not. But man, we should even so much more feel that as we're here. So today, my challenge is simply this is that you and I would continue to dedicate ourselves as a church to these characteristics, to these values. 
that are present in the Old Testament in the temples it was dedicated under Solomon's leadership all the way to what we see in the New Testament church in the book of Acts to today. That every time we assemble together and every time we come together, we know God doesn't live in this room. He resides in the hearts and lives of men and women. But as the Jesus that's living in you comes together corporately, let it always be that we feel that God's hearing us in this place. That people can find freedom, that they don't have to live in shame and that they don't have to live in, in uh, conviction, yes, guilt, no. Again, con uh, condemnation is a perversion of conviction. Condemnation, John three seventeen. for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Let people never feel con con condemnation in church. Let them feel conviction, yes, condemnation, no. Conviction says, I'm wrong, you're wrong, Aaron, and you need to get this right, but there's a way to get it right, and here's the, here's the pathway to, to forgiveness and reconciliation. There's a difference. Condemnation says, you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough. You screwed up, you will never make this right. This will always be a blight, you will always carry this, this scarlet letter. Conviction says, no, 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 no. The ground's level at the foot of the cross. There's none of us that are righteous, no, not one. And our consequences for actions may be different. But the reality is that God loves all of us and has a plan for all of us. That we always find victory here, that we always find refuge here. That people on the outside or on the inside, it doesn't matter, red, yellow, black, white, doesn't matter, saved, not saved, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they sound like, what they smell like. It doesn't matter if they're up and over or down and out. That they feel welcome to come to the house of God and that people experience peace and provision, forgiveness, and prayer. So today I just want to pray this prayer. And I'm going to ask that you'll join with me. And you may go, why are you preaching on this? I thought it was kind of a go fight win. Because I think it's important that we remember this is what it's about. This is what the church is about. This is what you and I are tasked with to make sure that forgiveness and that freedom and love. And, and this isn't one of those feel good messages, but, but literally like just one of those like that people, lives can be changed. And that we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And that the peace of God will be so marked in this place that you'll talk about it on Monday. And that forgiveness will, will be so rampant in your life and freedom will be so blessed in your life that you'll tell people about it. <coughs> Excuse me, not to bless life, church, but to give praise and honor to Jesus. And that we will always operate this way because this is how God intended. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. And I just pray, Father, that you would just simply, Lord, that you would just simply help us just as you did with Solomon, to dedicate ourselves once again and dedicate this church once again, that it would be a place of prayer. It'd be a place of forgiveness. It'd be a place of freedom. It'd be a place of provision. It'd be a place of peace. It'd be a place of refuge. Oh God, that it would be a place where men and women experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. For there's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except the name of Jesus. There's no other way to the Father except through the Son, Jesus Christ. 
And in a world of pluralism, in a world of decadation, in a world of, of secular just swamp of ideas and ideologies that so conflict, let the church always be a place, not of condemnation, but of conviction. Not of criticism, but of character. Let us not have to speak our truth, but let us live our truth first and foremost and serve people regardless who they are, regardless if they agree with this or they disagree with this, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their social pedigree or background. God, let us just love people and have compassion on people and serve and be what you've called us to be. That's it. That's what the church is about. It's not about me. It's not about my friends. It's not about my likes. It's not about my interests. It's not about my consumeristic mindset, but rather, Lord, it's about you. Let us hold high the name of Jesus and do it even so much more as we see your return approaching. In Jesus' name we pray. I pray you bless all of your people. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you.